0: Uh, he, hello, everyone. This is Jordan Smart. We are so <laughs> glad that you're able to join us this week. Uh, we did not have a show last week, um, but we are back here today, and a lot of stuff is going on. There are just a little bit of us here. Thankfully, though, the garrison is on the way. Simone and Danny couldn't make it this week, but since we have a smaller group today, um, we're definitely going to be seeing how everyone is doing Um So far, pandemic is still roaring on, and there is a lot going on in this country, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram to get more updates or any updates of what we're doing. You can also see more clips of the show on our Facebook page and on our Instagram. Wherever you can share our show, please do that. And of course, if you want to share the show with someone that doesn't like watching things with their eyes, they can also listen with their ears. We have a podcast. Um, thanks a lot again to Adrian. You search Front of Interaction. You lis- You can listen to our whole show on Apple Podcasts. And we're working on Spotify uh, right now. Or it's available on Spotify already. It is, it is on Spotify. Yeah, sorry. Yes. yes, OK. It is on Spotify. Thank you so much again for that, Adrian. So let's get started. Uh, Logan, you, I understand had, had had been going through some changes. Uh, you've been really having to, I guess, open up new avenues in your life in terms of your own self care. Um, would you want to oh. share with us a little bit about where you are emotionally, mentally, and uh, how you've been doing?
1: Um, yeah, I, I you know I wasn't necessarily fully
0: prepared for that, but um,
1: I mean. Kind of interesting, I'm fine talking about it. Um, This uh, I've been pretty like in and out through spouts of depression for the past five years pretty firmly. Um, And so that, the pandemic mixed with just some really difficult changes in life have kind of led me to realize it's actually been kind of tough because I haven't had insurance for like three or four years. and so I don't really think about mental health at a high level because I don't have the ability for me for the means to like do it. Well, luckily I'm close with a family doctor of mine, and I just reached out. Well, I tweeted about it on Saturday. Like I felt overwhelmed, and I want to know if there are medications. And I a lot of people just told me if I exercise, I can cure all these things. Um, but I tweeted that after a ten-mile bike ride, so I was like, whoa, that's weird. Um, but uh so yeah i reached out to a a doctor that's a family member of mine and that you know is my doctor and was able to get um antidepressants which i then learned is uh like i mean i guess i knew but nobody talks about it because i tweeted about how i just went to the pharmacy they put it in san leandro which is in east oakland which is like just a wild Walmart. Um, lots of just just wild people were at the I saw like two fights happening in the parking lot on my way in, which was kind of exciting. But when I got there, they asked me if I wanted to talk to a pharmacist and I was like, I would. And she was just so nice. And she was like, Hey, have you taken antidepressants before? And I was like, No. And she was like, Oh, cool, you know, congratulations. I hope this works for you. And she's like breaking down some of the things. So that was kind of exciting. And then I tweeted about that experience and you know, I just got a lot of likes, but a lot of people telling me like DMing me and messaging me on Instagram, just saying like, thank you. Not enough people talk about this stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, I tweet about literally everything. Uh, the most stupid nonsense in the world I put on my Twitter. So at least something maybe valuable. So, you know, I guess if I can just bring awareness, I haven't felt any changes yet, except for some crazy dreams. Cause I'm only on day three, but it has been kind of a little bit, um, exciting to hear that, that maybe I can have a serotonin level that'll allow me to um, feel like uh, my, my life is a little more valuable to myself. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that possibility for sure.
0: Logan, sorry to put you on the spot, but no, it's I'm cool. just so glad that you're able to share. I think it's beautiful. When I saw that tweet this week, I was just honestly so honored to be able to see you display your vulnerability and your heart in such a real way. So we love you here. We know people <laughs> that are watching love you too. Logan, you're you're so valued, and we're so glad you're with us. Uh Michael Nixon. You. Um, oh, you're, you're welcome. No problem, man. Mike, I, I know for a fact I have a lot of issues with you personally because uh I tried oh, okay. really to <laughs> be your friend, but <laughs> so many, so many okay. reasons why you push me away. But besides that, that's just my own personal problem. <laughs> Mike, I really want to know. <laughs> What's going on with Andrew's reopening and what's going on with you, with your response, or I guess your change in giving education and giving spirituality despite COVID.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, awkward segue into that question, but thank you, Jordan. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're here. We're on, we're on campus. We're still on campus. Uh this was, I guess, day three. Um, I'm in a sort of an interesting situation because um, well, it, it's fine actually. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm working from home some days. So like today, most of the day, then tomorrow on Friday, I'll be at home. I won't be in. I'll maybe come in, in the evenings like I came in this evening. Um so it's interesting. It's an interesting vibe because you know, you'll it's cool to like drive into the parking lot and actually like see cars and, you know, see people sort of walking socially distant, like from the car. And, you know, literally everybody has on a mask. And so like recognizing people has been impossible. So that's just kind of been, they're just like these little things that we, I didn't think about in thinking about people coming back to campus. It was just more of like a, an anxious feeling, but also it's like, all right, good. We, you know, it's not just like a handful of us anymore, but at the same time you want everybody to be safe. Um, so it's it's been a different vibe, but it's been nice to know that there are folks here. Um, you know, I can say, you know, without getting into the weeds of like what I've heard about what's happened at other campuses, um, I can say based off of what I know and, and the process we've gone through thus far, I'm really happy to be here. I'm really happy that we've implemented the plan that we've implemented as far as with students coming back on campus as well as our employees. Um, and so, so far so good. Uh, my personal feeling is, you know, the first the first couple of weeks are really gonna, the, really the first two weeks are gonna be critical here. And I feel like if we can sort of manage through that and start to settle into a little bit of a bubble, that um, will probably be okay ultimately, but um, yeah, that that's sort of the vibe on campus right now. So no, like oh, sorry, no, I was alive. gonna
1: say no in- gymnasium worship services this week or next week. <laughs> no,
2: nah, you have to go somewhere else for that. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're not uh, <laughs> we're 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 being very careful on this side, so um. Because we would like to be open uh, two weeks from now. So that's that. Hey, but, you know, hey, just praying God's blessings on everyone. At the end of the day, it's like it's it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's funny. But at the same time, you know, this pandemic is very serious. It's this is like really, really, really serious. Um, we take um, the responsibility of, you know, the lives of our students and employees very seriously. Um, I spent, as you all know, I spent the majority of my summer, one of the things that um, I picked up, it's been a a season where a lot of us have just had to pick up different slack. And so this is true of lots of different people. And I've been, um, it's been really amazing to see all the different ways that people on our campus have chipped in during the past few months as we've kind of weathered this whole thing. But one of the things that I picked up was uh, working with students and employees who did need COVID, who needed COVID-related accommodations, um, whether that's a hybrid learning model, 100% online, um, or single room occupancy in the dorm, um, or employees or faculty who decided to teach remotely. Um, you know, which I've heard has not been an option in other places, which is pretty sad. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, staff members who have needed a hybrid sort of work model. um, It's been really heartwarming that um, in the large majority of those instances, we've been able to find solutions for people. And so I was a little bit anxious on the front end about man, it's going to be hard to navigate all of this. But we've seen faculty members and staff really go above and beyond to say we understand that we're in a global pandemic that we've never dealt with before. And so we're going to do things we've never done before in order to make it work. And so um, I'll stop the Andrews commercial for now, but yeah, but it, that, that's, that's the vibe right now.
0: Very good. And, uh, just so you know, Andrews has a plethora of programs. Um, you can enroll and become a physical therapist and all these other things.
2: Okay. Okay. D- dust, dust off the cobwebs of that recruiter jacket there. Smart.
3: <laughs> yeah. Let's, go.
0: Let's go roll,
2: roll off, roll off that Rolodex. Come on.
0: Hey man, Tony Yang, just send me the check in the mail. Adrian and Esther, so glad that you guys are here with us uh, too. I'm super interested. You know, of course, you guys have been married. I feel like people have been probably making uh, reminding you of this constantly. But how is how has that been, especially with you, Esther? You're going back to teaching. I mean, how has that change been for you guys?
4: Um, In terms of the teaching, yeah, we just started school this week and we're we're completely remote. So it's been really interesting. I mean, it's definitely preferable to me to then to sending children and teachers to school like I'd much rather be 100 percent remote. But it also is like 8.45 to 2.30 like on Zoom with seven-year-olds like all day long. And like trying to keep them engaged and realizing like how little they actually know about working a computer and like how much help and support they need to just do like very simple things. So every, like Adrian will tell you like, I don't stop working literally like, Every day after work, it's like, okay, well, now I have to rework all the slides and everything for tomorrow because I just realized they don't know how to, like, yesterday we had to teach them how to find the windows that you have open behind Zoom. So, like, you're on Zoom, now I need you to go open the internet again so you can find this application here's how you do it. You have to move your mouse to the top and slide (laughs) the Zoom box over. It's just very, and you can't see anything they're doing. So it's been very interesting, but um, it's also been really fun. Like I didn't expect to have this much fun teaching online but like kids just make everything fun even though they're on mute for like probably like 80% of the day. Like I feel really bad, but I'd be trying to unmute them and it is just, it is chaotic. Like there is, there is so much,
5: so much noise. Like you
4: do not know what you will hear. Literally, you could hear anything. Like it could be their their baby sibling crying. It could be their mom on the <laughs> phone. It could be them their mom or parent cussing somebody out. Like it could literally be anything at any time. So they're they're on mute a lot of the day, but um, but yeah, it's been okay. But I'm at a school that was able to give one-to-one technology to everybody. They can send hotspots to families who need Mm -hmm. them. They have, like, we've, you know, like, we've upgraded to all these different, to, like, the highest form of Zoom possible so we can use all the features on Mm -hmm. Zoom. They have all of the app, like, all these different computer applications. Like, I'm at a school that was able to make a lot of things work that other schools probably could not do, and I can't really imagine doing this without having all of the resources that we have been able to use. But, um, but yeah, it's been very, it's been very fun. They've been very, yeah. They, I, I feel like my classroom online actually feels like a classroom. It doesn't just feel like a Zoom presentation from me to them, but it's a lot of like. Trial and error. I had to teach this a student the other day how to like click and drag. Like I had to literally explain, like you use your thumb to hold down the mouse pad, then you take your pointer finger and you drag the object. Nice. There are so many things, y'all. There's uh, so many out, things they don't to. know. <laughs> but it's been fun overall.
0: Glad to hear, Adrian Howard. Things been with you? Ah, uh,
5: it's been good. Um just been hanging in there. We're still, we're still job hunting. So we're just working on that and praying. But for the most part, things have been good, honestly.
0: Can't That's good. Good. Garrison, um, don't know how to say this. Actually, before I address Garrison, I want everyone on the show to know that we have an imposter here. <laughs> we have someone that has tried to steal the hosting job from me. And his first step is to match my attire. You know, he <laughs> might be doing a football greeting. But Garrison, we're so glad you're here. Um, hey, how's it been? We had a week off. What have you been doing? Um, first of all, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the. <laughs> <laughs> um, all,
2: all that one needs is a body. No
3: <laughs>
6: no it's good to be back man it's good that i'm glad we're back at it um you know last week was mostly watching uh the nba and the democratic national convention uh which was all depressing every last part of that is a is a depressing thing um but you know this week managed um to be worse who knew who knew that that was possible with the RNC and stuff. But other than that, life is good. Um, Simone would be here, but she's doing something with work um, today. So she won't be able to
0: be on, but, but yeah, it's good to be here. Good, good. So guys, let's get right to it. I I feel like I'm on the cusp of laughing because Garrison literally has the same shirt as me, but (laughs) besides the point, uh, we're going to be talking about something that is frankly no laughing matter. Unfortunately, Um, it does seem like a lot of times on this show, we have to, Address the black community or speak about what's happening in the black community from a place of pain, but we do need to talk about it. So Jacob Blake from Wisconsin, uh, he was another victim of police brutality. You might have heard the story. I I don't want to go through the whole thing in detail. Um, I can put a, I will put a link actually in Facebook of by USA Today of a timeline of what happened. It has the timestamps and kind of communicates to us what went down. But the overview is that Blake was in a neighborhood. He was trying to break up a conflict, break up a fight. The police were called. And um, there are, of course, reports that he was unarmed. And then it, it's they, 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 from what I've read, there's been different video uh, pieces of video footage that have been released kind of detailing what happened. But at least from what I've been reading, I understand it that after initial scuffle with the police, um, Blake was trying to go home. And as he got away from that scuffle, he walked to the driver's side of his vehicle. Um, two of the officers followed him with their guns drawn. Uh, the officers tried to grab at him. And then when he opened the door and lead into his car, um, they fired at least seven shots into his back. So his uh, lawyer said, Benjamin Crump, did say that Blake was attempting to deescalate a fight between two other people when officers arrived at the scene. And then Crump also said that um, Blake has been paralyzed from the waist down. Um, Sorry, not Blake. Crump said that Blake was paralyzed from the waist down. So Again, we have another situation where police brutality has nearly taken a Black life, and we are so happy that Blake survived this encounter. But it really is, I would say, the frustration of this idea that Black people having to survive an interaction with the police is what is most disturbing. And just a quick parallel, when we've seen other situations of white individuals doing heinous acts of violence, they are taken to Burger King after the fact, and they are peacefully and politely taken into police custody. It's almost as if these shooters understand that they will not be harmed in the same way that Black people are harmed when interacting uh, with the police. So. That is kind of the overview. Can't lie, I I, I struggled a little bit because it's always hard to kind of talk about these things. But guys, I want to know what is, and I always ask this question, what was your first reaction when you saw this? May it be anger, frustration, sadness? I want to know emotionally, what did you feel when you heard about this story?
6: I I can start. I mean, I when I saw the video, it was um, I mean, obviously just disturbing. You know, I think it's fascinating that I have been conditioned to problematize police brutality incidents. And what I mean by that is that when I saw them, you know, like shooting him in the back, my initial thought is, okay, does he have a weapon? Uh, did he, did he have a weapon in his car uh, mm-hmm. trying to go for something? Like I, I, begin to come up with all the arguments that I know someone will use against him yeah. and I have to remind myself that it doesn't matter whether or not he had a weapon or whether or not he had a weapon in the car because they shot someone in the back in a situation where they could have de escalated so much earlier in the situation. They could have done so many other things before they got to the place where they were trying to take his life. And I'm reminded by the people about, you know, of the people who walk around with guns, who do incredibly violent things in front of the police, who kill black people in churches. And as you said, Jordan, are able to walk away with their lives there is no attempt on their life in that way. And, and so I have to even short circuit um, the way in which um, society has even caused me to start thinking about as a defense mechanism, thinking about my own people.
5: I think one of the things that has been um, pretty concerning that I think, uh, Garrison, you touched on with, with the that kind of knee jerk reaction to say, okay, can we eliminate all of the arguments that we know people are gonna use? Um, but I think what is more concerning, you know, when you look through the comment section of, of, of when uh, Yahoo News posts on Facebook or it's on YouTube or on Twitter, the, the immediate response is, um, well, he shouldn't have ran and he'd still be alive, right? There, There is the that immediate um form of belief that um as as long as you stop doing x y and z when you're encountering with the cop you'll be fine you'll walk away alive you won't get killed you won't get shot and i think underneath it all is what is more terrifying is that I, why did how have we created a culture where we have become submissive to the violence that we know officers have in these encounters, right? Because when I hear someone say, if you just don't run away, they won't shoot you, what I hear from that person is, you're acknowledging that cops are violent because you're, you're, you're acknowledging in that moment that he will shoot you. But my, my problem is, why are you okay with that? Why, why does it now fall upon us to always survive, to always protect ourselves, to always place ourselves in a conforming posture one where it's like, you know, like we, I'm sure all of us have kind of been trained with like the yes, no, yes, sir, no, sir, hands on the wheel. You don't move unless you're told sort of a thing. And I don't understand how, for many of my conservative friends, my conservative brothers and sisters, how you preach so strongly about uh, individual freedom and liberties, but don't see how that form of conformity to a law enforcement infringes on those values. Because you should be living in a society where your citizen's life is always paramount, regardless of who they're interacting with. But when I see officers given that sort of a pass, I I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can say, or rather you can be okay with the message of, we know cops are violent. And so it is incumbent upon you to do whatever they say so that you do not experience their wrath. Something about that belief is very backwards and just dangerous. And, And I don't know how you can justify that and then still claim to be an empathetic person, to so pl- cl- claim that you value life, to so claim that you uh, are pro-life, for that matter, to so claim that you value things like individual freedoms and liberties when everything about that particular ideal infringes on that.
2: Yeah, I, well said by both of you. Um, two two things that. I guess, kind of came to mind when I came across this. Well, the first thing was I was reminded that um, I do not have really good mechanisms in place for when these things happen. We've talked about this with the previous scenarios that have happened, um, you know, earlier during this sort of critical moment in our history and whether it's, you um, you know, with with George Floyd and stuff, um, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to avoid these videos because, for for me, it's also like I know that I'm going to have to talk about the the incidents and the situation. So, because we always have to, or are we, we, I guess we don't necessarily. We do, and that's part of having mechanisms in place. But, um, so you know, I, I watch the video because I always watch them and um similar to garrison i mean the next thing i did probably a little bit later as you know people are posting on my facebook wall about this and some random person who i'm not even friends with said something about the fact that uh jacob blake had a gun and that's why he got killed and my immediate reaction was not to say well that's completely i haven't heard anything First of all, if that were true, that would be the headline of the story. Mm-hmm. And I know that. You know, I know that. But the next thing that I did was I Google searched, did Jacob Blake have a weapon? That's what I did, you know? And as I did that, I was like, what in the world are you doing? Like, why'd you just do that, you know? But similar to what Garrison's saying, it's like, I know that that's what the conversation is going to be. I know that, I know how, um, you know, the discourse ends up going in these moments as opposed to just thinking about the fact that this dude just got shot in the back seven times for what? You know what I mean? Like literally for what, bro? Like what was it for? Um, The second thing that I thought about was um, maybe on a more personal note, I recently got a another car. Well, new to me, it's a, it's a pre-owned vehicle and nothing crazy. It's a, it's a Nissan. So it's like, I'm not out here stunting crazy or anything like okay,
1: that. Okay. Okay. Nissan. <laughs> ah. You
2: know what I'm saying? A little, a little something slight. And, um, <laughs> what's been interesting about that though is, so I, I purchased, I got the car, um, in Indiana, uh, which, which it, crossing over to Indiana is always a dangerous proposition, but, um, So I'm in the process now where I'm waiting for them to mail me uh, my registration for the new car, but I'm using the same license plate as the car that I traded in uh, because they just transfer it over. But I don't have the registration paperwork yet because that goes through the dealership and it takes like time for that to process. Um, So I remember like as I was driving away, I thought to myself, I don't have a printed copy of my registration if I get pulled over that's going to be a problem. You know what I mean and it wasn't like that's going to be a problem in the standpoint of I'm going to get a ticket like that's going to be like you know, oh, you're using a license plate from another car on this car, you don't have the registration for it, you know. I mean, it could turn into a situation, did you steal the car? Was that your car? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like I, you know, my life could be in danger and I don't have a I don't have a printed paper registration, like something that simple you know and it's just wild that like those are the kind of thoughts you have to have as like you know a grown adult person driving a vehicle that you paid for you know um that like over some paperwork crap somebody could get the wrong impression or idea and you know that could be it bro that could be a rap you know what i mean just depending on who you get or who you interact with, because, you know, supposedly it's only a couple of bad apples, right? So, um, yeah, it's just tragic, man. And you kind of run out of words at a certain point. But those are kind of the two things that came to my mind um, as I've been thinking about um, Jacob Blake and, you know, obviously prayers for his family, for his children um, and his life. I mean, The fact that he has his life is a miracle, but it's gonna look drastically different from this point forward being paralyzed uh, for the rest of his life.
0: I do wanna just interject super quick. Thankfully I was able to listen to an interview by uh, a journalist from NPR and she was interviewing his lawyer Benjamin Crump, who again is Blake's lawyer, he did say that the children are okay, but he was very clear in expressing that the children are going to have to undergo very extensive mental health counseling, very extensive therapy, because what they saw, their their father, who was their hero, the protector of their family, they saw him in, in the most dehumanizing state. So we definitely need to Make sure we are, I would say, guarding our children from the negative effects of violence against our, our own bodies, too, and, and making sure we're all taking care of ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I can say no. Um, yeah, so like, I think the conversation is I was, I mean, when I first saw that, it was on Twitter and and. Uh, Julian Castro, I believe is the person that put it out there for me. And I was like, I didn't expect it because he doesn't, you know, I'm usually expecting more activists to kind of put those videos out there. And so um, I was just like, I saw it. And, you know, what first went through my mind was what's going to take place. This video is not long enough. Like this has got to escalate more so than it did. And, you know, when I watched it, I was like, very taken aback because of you know if anyone's seen the video, the situation where I mean he's literally his back like there's nothing that cop could have seen that would have you know changed his p- position. But you know that was the 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 story I saw immediately on Twitter was like oh there had to be a weapon like he was and I was like I don't know that I saw or any justification in any of the reports to say that he was carrying a weapon. But it's become very clear to me over the last you know my whole life and then historically, but currently, as we've started to film these things, that that you don't have to carry a weapon when you're wearing a weapon, when black bodies are put on display because of the color of your skin. And, you know, that's the thing that I keep hearing from white people is they're like, comply, don't do this, don't do that, you know, and all these things. And I'm like, look, I hear it from the most influential black people in our society, which, you know, maybe Barack Obama to LeBron James continue to say, you can hear Shaq talk about this and Kenny Smith, Last night on TNT, athletes are saying like, Kenny Smith said, I've had a gun uh, pulled on me by a cop. And this is a person that's been wealthy, you know, for so long. And so like, you know, I think we really have to really start to rethink how some of these things are, are being done. But when it comes to like the Jacob Blake situation, I didn't see anything about that situation that I felt the cop was doing to fix the situation. I saw cops chasing a man that was literally walking away, which my whole life I've been taught to walk away. That's always what I've been told in confrontations to just get out of there. And this man is literally walking away. um, And there's no trying to grab him with their hands. There's no trying to get in front of him and block him with their hands. This is just cops chasing him with guns drawn, waiting for him to make some sort of mistake. And I'm thinking to myself, this is this is the problem right here in this situation. At what point are police going to actually use their skills of de-escalation that they're supposedly trained in and actually de-escalate, actually get in the way of someone, actually try to you know maybe um, bring the situation down? And they're like, oh, well, they tried to tase them. And I'm like, look, I've been in enough situations when it's four against one, there's a lot of power that four have that one don't. And that power does not have to be had at the means of a bullet. Like, and the fact that this man was not not just shot, but he was shot seven times in his back lets me know that this man was not supposed to live through this. Like that was, you don't shoot someone seven times with the idea of like, oh, maybe they'll make it. Like you shoot someone seven times to to, to make sure that there's, there's no story. And yeah, I mean, I, I keep saying it until we start to really talk about the abolishment of these people that look at black people as criminals just based off of their existence. We're not going to be able to rewrite these protocols that allow for this to happen because this just shouldn't be any form of justification. They're just, it shouldn't exist. It should be completely and always illegal.
0: Esther, what are your thoughts on this and yeah, your your initial reactions to to the story.
4: Um I saw the video on accident. I try not to watch them because I when I was watching them, I was noticing that I was growing numb to them like I wasn't reacting emotionally the way that I felt like I should, and so I stopped because I don't want to I don't wanna be desensitized to violence against against black bodies, against anybody, but especially against black people. Um, so I saw it by accident, it just, it just showed up on Twitter and I didn't know what it was. And it, it happens very quickly in the video. Cause normally like if I see a video with police and a black person, I know like I don't, whatever's gonna happen here probably is not good and I don't wanna watch it, but it just like, it just happened, you know, like I Twitter, I had the autoplay setting on Twitter, so like it just, so I saw it on accident um, and I guess I don't really know, I I don't know, I guess I'm just thinking now like how shocked I was that he lived. Mm-hmm. Like I saw the video and I assumed that he was dead. Like I, I like the the thought that he could have lived, could have survived that encounter, did not even cross my mind. Like I, and I don't, I mean, I don't know, I just feel like that says something. I mean, obviously the video itself is very, it's very violent and very graphic. It does not look like something that somebody could survive. So that also just goes to show like, like how much, like how much they were doing, like the extent to which they were willing to put this person through harm. But also I think it just goes to show how common this narrative is. Like I see it, I read the headlines, and I'm like, I already know the in, to this story already. And I am just, I guess a couple of things. I think one, in terms of the video and it um, just seeing it, I'm always very struck by that paradox that like the thing that I think is very mentally damaging to people, to all people, but especially to black people just seeing and witnessing black people dying all the time is also the thing that's like, this story wasn't going to get told or get this level of traction if this video wasn't being spread. And so just always trying to think through that tension of like, I personally don't want to watch them, but do I also not want anybody else to watch them? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I want people to know, I want people to talk about it. And it seems like the only way for that to happen is if people are seeing it visually with their own eyes. Um, But I'm also just very interested to see how this plays out differently because he lived. Like, I just, I can't think of another example of um, a case like this that went viral, that had all of this national attention, where we actually had a view, a firsthand viewpoint besides the police. Like, I don't think we've had that. We, as like a community, have pretty much decided, like, the police are going to say what they're going to say, and I'm not going to take that as fact. Like, I just make, I make that decision. Like, I don't necessarily believe that what you guys are saying is true. It could be, but I'm not going to assume it is. I just, I don't do that anymore with police, but I'm doing that without any, without any other side to counter theirs, right? Like that's the only story that's going to be told. Even with video evidence, we still, the police narrative often still determines how we interpret the video evidence right? Like they might say something happened before that led up to it. They paint, they give us context and that interprets how we, how we interpret what we're seeing on video. And for some of us, it's like, well, I can write off what you guys are saying because what to me in this video, it doesn't match. It doesn't add up, but other people don't do that. And I think this is the first time where we're actually going to have two sides of the story Mm. and people are going to have two perspectives to listen to to hear out, to help them decide what they think and what they believe about what happened. That is also an extremely heavy burden for somebody who just went through an extremely traumatizing experience, whose family just went through an extremely traumatizing experience. Um, yeah, and then um, finding out about the, the shooter at the protest last night and just contrasting, it, it it frustrates me so much because it's the same police force like it's the same cops that like i think there's other instances where we're drawing comparisons between how you were how cops responded to a white person here versus how they responded to a black person here but we're often comparing different police forces mm-hmm. so you can you can make the assumption or draw the conclusion like okay well it could just be a problem with this force versus this force but this is a situation where like this is two days after the fact or i don't know i think it's two it was two days after the fact and it's the same cops in the same town and we're just seeing real time the hypocrisy like we're just watching it like these are cops that were probably like they know the cops that were involved in in the shooting with Jacob Blake they know them personally yeah. they know what happened right like they they know why everybody's out there and angry they it's like you are personally involved in it and yet you're still not able to see, to see the hypocrisy that you are portraying real time, I I, I don't understand that. I don't believe it. I, at this point, I'm at a point where I'm like, they are aware and they see it. And I think that honestly, cops are very angry with what is going on. And I think that it is impacting their decision making. And we are seeing it happen. I think that they are I don't want to speak too harshly, but I'm at a point where my cynicism has reached a level where I'm like, I think you guys are okay with protesters and black people protesting the police being harmed. I don't, I don't think that you are upset at that happening because you're not you're not showing us that you care. Like, not even from a, a PR standpoint, where like it'll probably look better for us if we tried to handle this better, if we try to be more proactive about this. There's an armed man walking around these protests, like, you know, I just, at this point, I'm, I, I have no faith.
6: Yeah, I I have, my faith is waning as well. And I am also interested in the way that Jacob Blake will, will, you know, respond. Um You know, some are asking, like, you know, what would you do if he forgave? And I think that's a, that's an interesting question that I would love to hear you guys answer on. But, but before we get to that, I do want to kind of jump in on a point that you're talking about, Esther, with regard to the hypocrisy. Um, I've been following this conversation, you know, interestingly enough, I have a friend um, on Facebook, who has recently been posting about how the Black Lives Matter movement is a Marxist movement, how they're trying to bring about socialism, they're burning Bibles, they're doing these things that these individuals really think are like tied directly to Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter is responsible for any of the bad things that happen at these protests that often turn into somewhat like looting and rioting that takes place there. They're blaming the Black Lives Matter movement. And they use this language about Marxism and socialism and how millions, billions have been enslaved and killed under socialist and Marxist regimes. That's what they say. And they use this like staunchly, like hardline language about the movement to the point where people are like, I can't get on board with the Black Lives Matter movement anymore, and it's so fascinating to me that when Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever this guy's name is, the the individual who goes out there and murders two people at the at the at these rallies, these very same people yeah. who talk about how much violence the Black Lives Matter movement is somehow responsible for, these very same people don't realize that their actions and their words are responsible for the deaths of those individuals at the Black Lives Matter movement, at the Black Lives Matter protests. Like the reason why Kyle, this this boy, 17 this year old young man who went out and killed these individuals, the reason why he felt like that was okay is because yeah. you've worked so hard to demonize the individuals at these protests, that it's no way for people to conclude that they're human beings. You've, you've said that their ideology leads to millions of people being enslaved and millions of people being killed. So you have given them the moral license to go out and put a stop to that. So people don't realize these, I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about how, or talked about in the letter from Birmingham jail, he talks about how the white moderate is more dangerous Mm -hmm. than the Ku Klux Klaner. It's more dangerous because I think the Ku Klux Klan knows that they hate people. They knows that they, they know that their ideologies lead to the killing and the death of, of Black people. But the white moderate and those other now multi-ethnic and multi-racial, moder- multi-racial moderates who believe the exact same things, who fight so hard against the Black Lives Matter movement, they don't know. They have no clue that their ideology leads to the hate of Black suffrage movements. And it's amazing to me that people can sit there and act as though they have the moral authority and the moral ground to call this entire movement and all of its adherents Marxists and atheists and they hate God and they don't want God. And and then when someone who shares their ideology kills people, they don't have the guts or the courage to stand up and say something
0: about it. Hmm. Thank you so much for saying that, Garrison. I I think it, it definitely resonates with a lot of us listening. Stand up and say something about it. <laughs> hmm. Duffy business. Well, thank you so much for saying that, Garrison. I
2: you got think another. It, it definitely tab resonates up?
0: with a lot of us listening. Stand up and say something
2: about it. See. <laughs> Oh.
0: <laughs> uh, nice. yeah, that was, was muted. Oh, man. Satan is working we blame hard. We no okay. <laughs> hey, to So, guys, um, thank you so much for continuing to, to listen and engage with us. Just so happy to see so many of our friends here to engage and to to discuss this very important topic. Again, please, if you really feel that this conversation is important, please share it with your friends so we can really help people understand what needs to be done to prevent these kinds of things from continuing to happen. Mike, um, you were very excited on something that happened today. It seemed to be a very major development on individuals using their platform to protest individuals using their platform to really send a message and to really push and aggressively fight for change. Please share that with us.
2: Yeah, no, um, uh, thanks. Thanks, Jordan, for for turning it over. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, th- this sort of happened, you know, maybe it, it started to come out a couple hours before the show started. So, we're literally probably all still getting pings on our phones of updates about what more is happening. But essentially, it started uh, probably around 4 or 5 p.m. today where uh, there's an NBA playoff game scheduled between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic. And the Magic were out, you know, doing their normal warm-up routine for a game. And no one from the Milwaukee Bucks had come, on, come out to the, the arena yet or, or onto the court. Uh, they were still um, back in their locker room. And then, you know, shortly after that, I guess the Orlando Magic players got word that the Bucks were were boycotting the game, and they also agreed to boycott the game, and so they walked off the court. And, um, you know, essentially, of course, well, you know, Milwaukee being, being the main, you know, NBA team in Wisconsin, they, they really felt um, that the time was now to really make a huge stand and support um, or in 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 reaction to what happened with Jacob Blake. And all the other NBA players who were scheduled to play tonight have also boycotted. Um, I, we also got word that the Milwaukee Brewers, which is the MLB baseball team in um, Milwaukee, they also have boycotted their game. And I also saw that the Seattle Mariners out in Seattle, Washington, have boycotted their game. And uh, the NBA players are having a meeting. Uh, it will actually start a couple minutes from now uh, in the bubble in uh, Orlando to discuss what they're going to do going forward. And they may decide to cancel the rest of the season. Some NBA insiders have gotten word that that might be what's coming. Um, and so I think that this was pretty, pretty significant for me for a couple of reasons. And I would love to hear some reactions from you all as well. Um, The the first person I thought of was Colin Kaepernick, you know, and it's a reminder of oftentimes, particularly in athletics as we've had a lot of athletes take stands historically um, to support different causes. But um, oftentimes it's, it's never rewarding to be the first to really, in any particular era to take a particular stance because to be at the point now where, you know, however many years, you know, three, four years after Kaepernick kneeled to now be at a point where you have entire teams and we're talking about, you know, the NBA is a global league and they're, they're, I mean, we're watching games where you have people from Europe who have black lives matter on the back of their jerseys in their language, you know, as opposed to, you know, four or five years ago where it was like Kaepernick and um, you know, I, I forget his teammates' name. He ended up going to the Panthers. Eric Reed. It was, it was, it was Kaepernick and Eric Reed, and that was like about it, you know. And people were looking at them like they were literally like um, you know, it was treasonous, you know, to now be at the point where you have entire teams standing in solidarity like this on in support of black lives and and to demand justice um, is pretty deeply moving as a as a as a sports fan, as a basketball fan. Um, But I can't lie, I did think about Kaepernick and how he had to pay an immense price to be that first person in this more modern era, era of athletes to to step up and take that kind of a risk to say that enough is enough and to not mince his words and be unapologetic about, you know, some of the things he said. And to even say things that I didn't always agree with, like some of the stuff he said about voting. I was like, oh, boy, you're wild. But, um, you know, but the fact that he was just so unapologetic and he's obviously you know paid a price and was blackballed for it. But but it very clearly opened up the pathway now for athletes. I mean, athletes don't walk away from playoff games. Like let's just be clear. They, you know, Kevin Durant last year in the finals, it was pretty much a known fact that his Achilles tendon was borderline about to tear, and the dude played in the finals and tore his Achilles tendon. So these guys, so the people that are talking about all these are. High, you know, high-powered, you know, high-paid millionaires, privileged people, whatever the case may be, um, you know, these games are deeply meaningful to the, to them in, within their profession. And for them to uh, a united stand across these different teams to say, we're not playing, <laughs> and y'all can spend the time during when we would have had these games to talk about what just happened to Jacob Blake and what continues to happen to Black lives across this country Um, I just really think it's powerful. And to even now have two major league baseball teams do the same thing. Baseball. I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy. I'm just, you know, I, I mean, I just really can't overstate how, um, how moving it is as as a sports fan to see, um, these athletes not sticking to sports. So, you know. Lair, I'm sure I'm sure Laura Ingram is like on fire right now. And um, you know. Evening. I almost said something crazy. Let me stop. But um they're not sticking to sports. They're human beings and they're standing up for black lives. And anybody who has a problem with it, too bad. And you know, turn on your Xbox and play NBA two K if you want to see some basketball, because it ain't happening. So that is what it is. But yeah, I'd love to hear you all's thoughts on that as well. And, and sort of, um, does it, I mean, cause you know, I feel like it's significant. Maybe you don't think it's significant, but what does it mean? And, uh, what do we think may come next?
6: Yeah. You know, I really actually Don L just said something, shout out hashtag. Um, he just said something there in, in the comments. He said, no more distractions. And actually, that's a really, really good point. You know, the last, I think we're coming to this a little bit later on, but you know, I've been watching, I've been pretty much prioritizing the DNC and the RNC, and people have a lot of reasons why they didn't watch those. So hear me say that, you know, but I definitely know that even my attention was a little torn between staying engaged and what's happening with our country and the conversation happening within our political sphere. And also kind of wanting to watch my favorite sport and my favorite athletes do their thing, you know? And I think he's right that them taking a step away is like all attention. I mean, whether or not, we, whether some people like it or not, the MLB, like if you're a fan of the Brewers or whatever, you know, like, like your attention is now diverted towards what happened to Jacob Blake. If you're an NBA fan, your attention is diverted. And I think there's value in that. I commend the, the players for taking that stand. Um, I think it, it's, it's powerful. So, yeah.
5: Yeah, I was going to say, and we, we've we kind of touched on this in previous episodes, like the amount of effort all the way up until the presidency to allow sports like the NBA, the NFL, MLB to take place even in the midst of a pandemic shows how much influence these sports have on our country and our, our country citizens and how closely and personal these sports sure. are to And us. then, you know, shortly after. Again. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways. Uh, so the, the point that me bringing that up is, um, I think for a while, We have been longing for this kind of movement to kind of take place from our athletes. Like we saw it with with Colin Kaepernick, but even before Kaepernick, there have been instances of racial injustice that we have wanted to say, yo, athletes, if you guys had stood up right now, like no one is going to press you. Like LeBron James is the most famous athlete in the world no one if lebron says we're not playing like the nba is not playing like it it is that kind of influence that he has and i think this is why it's so commendable because i think they realize um how much influence they have not just on the league but on people in general and so when Dono, like he says like no distractions um i think they realize that like yo honestly I know we're putting in a lot of effort into making sure that we're, you know, funds go into the NBA can thrive in this bubble and, you know, sport, other sports are are looking to the same thing, but in the midst of what's happening, it's just not as important, right? Like even after the game yesterday or two days ago, you had people like Chris Paul, Don Mitchell, like they were coming out and like, yeah, we just won the game. But like, that's not what's on our mind right now mm-hmm. doc rivers you know he he played a very, he coached a very good game but in his you know in his um his interview post game that's what they're talking about like it, and i think we have to realize that like the suffering of black people is more important than our entertainment and i think these sports players are really recognizing that like yo all of this effort we're trying to put into making sure we can have this sort of entertainment, it doesn't matter, especially with so much racial tension that keep happening because of, you know, we get video footage and then there's an outcry and then people are getting convicted and then we have to protest. And then you got people like Donald Trump, um, you know, like bashing the protesters, which like Garrison said, enables other people to go out there and do things like we just saw. It's almost like, bro, like why even play sports right now? And it 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 just really shifts things in the perspective on what's more pressing and more valuable. And I love it. I love seeing our sports players do it. I think Colin Kaepernick is gonna go down as as a prophetic voice for that movement because he was able to do this when it was so polarizing and when people hated him for it. And so much respect goes out to that man, honestly.
2: Yeah, I, I just want to say two quick things before you jump in, Esther. First of all, I did want to just publicly say audibly uh, thank you, Lauren Brooks, for uh, the comment. Shout out to the WNBA as well. Shout out, Lauren Brooks. And- that's my girl. Oh, that's what's up. That's what's up. The WNBA has been amazing, in particular, standing in solidarity with Brianna Taylor. I mean, it's just really been powerful uh, to see all of the um, – outspoken ways that they've uh, been stepping up to the plate. So I, I did want to say that. And uh, the homie, Mike Miller, who's in the chat, who's been on fire today, uh, I know part of the reason why he's saying close down the bubble is because his patience got swept. But <laughs> you know <laughs> you what know, yeah. I mean? let's just
3: keep
1: back. You know what I mean? The, but, uh,
2: but, but the WNBA
1: us, was um, going to – they weren't going to cancel at first. That's why when I saw that I had to Google it because they had planned to – take a stop clock every seven minutes into their quarters. Um, and they were going to take a shot clock violation and then do a, like a minute of pausing. And they were going to start the game with shot clock. So the WNBA had actually announced a couple hours ago that they were going to do some things tonight during their game to try to bring awareness, but it was only like 25, 30 minutes ago that they that they actually announced to um, so postpone with the, with solidarity of the
2: NBA and stuff. So I thought what
1: they were going to do was pretty cool too. So it was just,
2: they would have had it postponed. Dope. And sorry to cut you off, Esther. I know you were gonna oh, jump in. It's,
4: it's okay. Um yeah, I, I don't okay, I don't watch sports. So this really, really did not impact me <laughs> the way it impacted some people. But uh, what you were just saying Adrian about how the amount of effort that was put into keeping sports running and all and yeah. through the pandemic through everything. And then having the NBA make this decision or not the whole NBA, but just a team, just a team from the NBA. Or multiple. (laughs) Multiple teams, teams. okay. Well, um, but it made me think about something that I've been sort of pondering in relation to sports, it relates to this, but I've been thinking about it primarily with schools because I'm a teacher, but just about this idea, idea that I think a lot of Americans really want to have spaces that are like apolitical. Right. Like when you start involving politics and in sports, like you always get people that are like, it's just a game. Like, we don't want to bring that here. Like, we just want to enjoy it, you know, et cetera. Same thing. Like when you talk about politics in church, when you talk about politics in school, when you talk about politics in like so many different spaces, there's always a group of people that are like, why are we bringing that into this? Like, we don't need to involve that here. And I've just been really pondering this idea recently that like, for all this effort to make certain spaces in America apolitical, it's just, it's like, it's just literally not possible. Because like what you were just saying, like if you keep if you keep playing, like if you keep the games going through this time, like that's a political statement in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Like you're making a statement that we don't need to stop everything to have this conversation right now. And it's the same thing with schools and the same thing with churches. Like when you choose not to and not to involve the politics that are about human lives into those spaces, like you're still making a political statement. And I just um, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot and how important it is that we think about like okay if no matter what we do we are making a statement about how we va- how much we value this conversation or how we feel about it then we really need to think about what we want that statement to be and i feel like that's kind of what the what the nba teams did like they understood like whatever we do we're saying something so yeah. we need to make a decision that says what we want it to say we want to say this matters more than what we're doing more than the game itself we want to make sure that this conversation is highlighted and given precedent and the platform it deserves above our game. And so they made that decision. And I think that that is a model that a lot of spaces need to follow. I think churches need to follow that thing, like that same idea. Like we are making a statement even when we say nothing. So this church is not apolitical. If I'm not, if if I'm not talking about black lives matter or the presidential election or any of those things in church it's it's still not an apolitical space yeah. it's a very hyper political space because when i go into your church i'm going to feel that absence and know you are not speaking to the things that matter to me exactly. And it's the same thing in schools. If we ignore these conversations and we choose not to highlight them, that's not not saying something, it's telling children, these things don't matter enough to be involved in this space, to be involved in this in, in your education in this conversation. So I feel like the MBA is modeling something right now that a lot of other people and a lot of other spaces could imitate in thinking about what are we saying when we don't say anything.
1: Yeah, I think the idea of business as usual is really, like, problematic. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a really big NBA fan. I was really excited, especially being – I wouldn't say I'm unemployed, but I don't have a job right now. And so um, I'm, like, uh, just in my house all day. So I'm on the West Coast, so games are starting at, like, 1030 a.m. And I was like, yo, this is dope. I get a whole day of basketball. It's just, like, I wake up and it's like basketball – um so I was really excited about that but today I was also really excited to watch um some players make a a pretty strong stand and it was kind of it was kind of interesting cuz I was about to watch that game that Magic uh, Bucks game cuz I was just bored and um cuz it was about to end the series today but the buzzer sounded for the game to start like that was kind of what was unique about it is then everyone was like are they really not coming cuz everyone was like oh they're like doing a little bit of a stand like they're just like holding out and they then they they literally didn't know the referees like went to the locker room and then the NBA being a trash business as they were they were like well this will be a forfeit and they'll be the series will be three to two now since the bucks were the ones and then the the magic team was like no, nah, we're not we're not doing that um but uh you know I think a lot of people forget that athletes you know kind of even to go further into esther's point the athletes are their, their dads, their, their sons, their brothers. I mean, I would say that the majority of, of NBA players know that their immediate family is probably safe right now. Like they, but they're in their bubble. They're in the NBA bubble, much like many of us are in our own bubbles in our homes. And they're saying, I can't, I can't impact change here right the way I want to. I need to go back to my community. I need to go back to the spaces that need me. They need my voice. They need my money. They need my influence. They need, you know, my power. And I need to go into those spaces and I need to, to impact change. It says that the Bucks were on a phone call with the lieutenant governor and the attorney general of their state um this afternoon to try to talk to them about some of the things that could impact change and you know they they really took to heart to say like look this is our community the milwaukee bucks are like 30 minutes from the town of wisconsin that jacob blake was murdered by police and you know that's that's hate to say close to home but you know the the rest of the nba took note and said yeah we're not going to sit back and allow this conversation sh- conversation to just happen but i will say is what's kind of interesting about it is i don't know the answer to and just something to ponder, But if the NBA would have just stayed canceled, I, we wouldn't have this kind of conversation. So, yeah, I don't know where the line of distraction and impact, because I know LeBron has been pretty, and Jalen Brown, as Garrison's pointed out to me, have been very vocal, not only in their voicing, but their their spending. I mean, LeBron is putting money into communities to get people registered to vote, to make polling stations, you know, some of these things. So I kind of weigh, I've always said that I wish the NBA would just sign the document that says, 30% of the proceeds of the rest of the season go to very specific causes, even their own cause. I know they had a, a $200 million, I think it was, or $300 million to black communities. They put together a, a charity within the NBA for black communities um, when the bubble started. So just kind of more of that. But yeah, I think canceling the TV, I was hyped to watch a Lakers game at, at six o'clock. So just canceling it to, to let people know like, nah, basketball is big, but, this is a lot bigger and lives are way more important, even if it's just one. You know, it's it's really a gospel centered approach. We'll stop for one life. That's that's what we'll do. We would do anything to save that and to, 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 you know, raise awareness to that. It's very valuable.
0: Thank you all for sharing. You know, I'll just say super quick that change comes when uh, a people or just even yourself when you're inconvenience and when you're made uncomfortable. So to think that things can get better when you're maintaining your status quo, your normal way of life, that's just not the case. So I'm just, as a person doesn't watch basketball, I know some of my male family members may think that's some sort of disorder, but it's not my thing. But from the outside looking in, I see it as so powerful to see Something that is so influential in American culture screech to a halt and gives such directed attention to one thing that's super powerful. Garrison, you know there has uh, there have been two things that have happened back to back. We one would say, especially in quarantine, they have been blockbuster events. Uh, one has been the DNC, and, and another has been the. RNC, Democratic National Convention, and the Republican National Convention. Um, please tell us about like why is this important? What's what's the big deal? Why are we even talking about this in the first place? And I do understand. I want to give a disclaimer that we will be entering the magiverse in this segment. So if you do have a mask at home, feel free to put one on. Garrison, please give us a rundown.
6: <laughs> oh my gosh. So as you all know, in 69 days, 69 days, we just went under the 70-day mark, we will be nominating, we will be electing a new president of the United States of America from either one of two parties. Don't get it twisted. There are only one of two people will be elected. It's going to either be Donald J. Trump, who is the current president of the United States of America, or Joseph R. Biden, um, who is the Democratic president party's candidate. And so last week, the Democratic Party had their national convention where they brought out heavy hitters. First of all, they were, I think it was four nights, right? Four, Three nights or four nights? Four nights. They were four of four for the hosts um, at, on each evening. Great, amazing hosts every single evening. Um, but they also had um, great speakers come out from Michelle Obama to Elizabeth Warren. Bernie gave a speech And of course, uh, former President Barack Obama gave a riveting speech as well, encouraging people to go out and vote to take action to impact democracy. That was last week. It was mostly focused on, on, of course, getting people excited about, but mostly trying to make sure that they were building out a strong coalition of voters for Joe Biden. This week is the Republican National Convention. Um, And honestly, you know, last week, it was vote for Joe Biden. I'll say this, this is my first kind of like, aside from just describing what happened, this is a take. Last week was like vote for Joe Biden, but also look at Democrats across the spectrum. I mean, they had people every night from smaller districts in Pennsylvania and Texas and Georgia. They had representatives on the House on the, on the state level as well as on the national level. Democratic representatives all kind of like showing their face and taking part and being kind of like centered in the conversation. Like, hey, don't just vote for Joe Biden. Vote for all Democrats. One of the major differences this week so far has been that the Republican National Convention is all about Donald Trump. I mean, I I can't stress that enough. Every single part of it is about Trump, including um, Miss Guilfoyle who is doing her best impersonation of Jordan Smart. I mean, she went on and said, how can I do my version of what Jordan Smart does on the Affirmative Interaction podcast every single week? Um, It's bizarre. I don't know if you have the ability to play that video, Nick, but that was a bizarre speech.
2: Drop, drop, Drop me a link and I will play it, if somebody can drop me a link to the speech. Oh, boy. And, uh, yes. Let, let's make sign. sure
0: we're, we're still going as, as Mike is doing a CSI in the background. But but Gerson, yeah. continue. Yeah,
6: I, I mean, that's that's the basic overview. Of course, it's still continuing tonight, I believe. And maybe oh, I might be wrong about this, but maybe tomorrow night as well, where I think Donald Trump will officially accept the nomination for president from the Republic, Republican Party. Um, You know, you'll have to be the judge of the messaging. But this is what I'll say before I turn my time over watch this thing on C-SPAN. If you don't watch the convention, at least tune in at about 11.15 if you're still up Eastern time and watch the reactions of people. It's terrifying. People are watching this. C-SPAN, you can call in and give your opinion on what you just saw. And people are calling in. And last week, there were plenty of people calling in and saying, oh, Joe's the man for the job. We love Joe Biden. We're so excited for Democrats. Democrats have so much hope, and they're pushing for hope. This week, they're saying Donald Trump's the man for the job. We love Donald Trump. He's the guy, he, he's the guy that we want. You know, Republicans have so much hope in Donald Trump. And it's very interesting to hear the way that two people from different parties can watch the same thing and come to different different conclusions. So I think I've said enough, but that's that's our political atmosphere right now. As a matter of fact, last night, this is the last thing I'll say. Last night, I, I finished watching the Republican National Convention, and some lady called into C-SPAN and started talking about how she is willing to die. She is willing to literally die to make sure that Joe Biden does not become president. She says, I will lay down my life to ensure that Joe Biden does not become president of the United States and bring in all of the socialism and the Marxism. And this is another thing, I'm talking, but this is another thing that really blows my mind with the RNC. They are trying to cast Joe Biden and 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 Kamala Harris as Marxist socialist liberals. Oh, God. <laughs> I cannot believe it. I just can't believe it. Anyway, I've given my bias away. You guys, please talk. Okay, so
5: just a couple of things. First and foremost, she's willing to lay down her life. Who's trying to kill her though? Like, I don't even understand. Like, where who who do you think you'll need How to lay? Nice. Yeah, like give us an example. Give us a scenario where you will be the one that'll be the 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 I don't even know beacon of hope where you're laying down. I don't know, but it's just bizarre. But to to Garrison's point, there was a distinct difference of tone when you compare what you heard at DNC versus what you heard, what you're hearing this week. In DNC, you heard a lot of people proposing policies, you heard people talk about. Michelle talked about the need for empathy. You heard people talk about how this, the way we've handled COVID, did not need to go down the way that we did. If we had just reacted a week or two weeks earlier, and I think what's what's really striking me when I'm I'm listening to some of these comments uh, or these speeches, rather, is not how bizarre they are, but how we've seen a number of um like a number of republicans come out and speak out against it uh you know um like uh, jed bush was critical of some of the things that trump was saying and i found those particular group of people so interesting because throughout this entire convention thus far you had people saying things like the democrats are going to disarm you empty the prisons lock you in your homes and invite MS-13 to live next door and the police will not come if you call. They you go, that was Trump destroy, Jr. <laughs> yeah, they, they want to destroy <laughs> everything about your country. They want to control what you see and think and believe so that they can control how you live. And my first reaction is what world are they living in but not not like the people who are saying it i'm talking about the viewers that are believing it like what world do you think you're living in what what country do you think you're living in where you have nothing but a political party making all of these power moves to fundamentally change everything that was just described that nothing about joe biden's policies nothing about in the last 4 to 8 years would justify that. But that, I think, is a nail in the coffin. In, in an interview, Barack Obama said, if all I did was watch Fox News and listen to Rush Limbaugh, I would hate me too. And I think that <laughs> is part of the problem. So to go back to people like Red Bush, to go back to people like, uh, or uh, what was another one? Um, who came, was it Colin Powell who came out in-, in, in- and, John, and John Kasich as yeah. well. So I'm over had. here like, you guys don't have the right, you're not off the hook here, right? Just because your Republicanism is not Trumpism doesn't mean you are you have a moral high ground now. Because for decades, you have been fueling that paranoia. The misinformation, you, you've let it come into your Republican Party. Uh, alternative facts, you, you let that come in. Disregarding climate change, you let that come in ignoring systemic problems you let that come in voter suppression gerrymandering dog whistling you let all of that come in and you kept building this false reality for your base for the sake of political power because for so long you have been on the wrong side of history right like the, the the only response to climate change that we see people on the left doing is to deny its existence. The only response to combating against racism, which we've seen people that tend to lean left do, is to deny its existence, right? But the only way to legitimize, only to justify these false narratives is to keep feeding more lies, right? And the only way you keep feeding more lies (laughs) is to align closer with other groups that aren't filled with misinformation, right? And so you've got this scenario where people are saying, um, uh, I, I don't trust anyone but Fox News, right? But now in the midst of COVID, you have Fox News. It's like, okay, we can't keep putting up this front because it's all COVID is also affecting our base, right? So now we've got to actually be objective and call out Trump. But now... Trump supporters are also not trusting Fox News. So where are they going to turn? They're going to turn to places like OAN. They're going to turn to places like that QAnon thing that's running wild everywhere, right? And this this is why it is so frustrating to watch people in the Republican Party with all your values that you claim to have. Where did your ethics go? in 2016 and why did you wait until now <laughs> to show it? Because it's too late. These people are hijacked, hijacked your party. It is filled with conspiracy theories and lies, misinformation and racism, homophobia. There's nothing left. Trump, the Trump party controls the Republican party now and that is exactly what we, we saw in this RNC. The everything and everything.
1: That's literal facts because they literally came out this week and said, we're not going to have a party platform for our our Republican National Convention. We're just going to like roll with it. So whatever people come up and say, that's our platform, that's what we're going with, because they don't have anything. Like that's what's so funny is you can even see how confused they are because. Two months ago, their slogan was "Keep America Great." But now the RNC says "Make America Great Again" one more time because they realize that no one thinks that America's great right now. So there's nothing to keep great. We don't even have anything to run on. Wow. At least four years ago, Donald Trump ran on xenophobia, where he was like, "Yeah, I'll build the wall." Like, uh, you know, everyone's terrible that's not American. He's like, "I'll hire Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller and Jeff Sessions." He's vocal white nationalists to come into the White House, and they'll run things and we'll hate brown and black people. We'll do it together as a group. And now like he's realizing I can't do that because Black Lives Matter is taking a lot of, you know, turns for the better, for for the worse for him. You know, it's so all they have is like a like a Trump ticket, which I'm actually surprised he didn't get rid of Pence and just throw one of his family members on his ticket because Mike Pence isn't vocally as stupid as Trump Junior. So that would have been like a another win, but all they do is pander to lies. And it's really funny oh my because my only point here is that Donald Trump's like base, they believe that all politicians lie to us. So they're like the lyingest group, you know, everyone that exists lies, but the politician that has proven statistically to lie to more than anyone in the yeah. history of politics is their fearless leader, Donald Trump. And I'm just sitting there and it's funny because I'll have conversations with people and, um, they'll tell me like all these things about Democrats. And I'm like, you know, that's not how Democrats view. Like Democrats aren't trying to take your guns away. Democrats aren't trying to tax everybody till you're poor. Like Democrats don't believe in socialism, like all this. And they're like, yes, I do. And I'm like, I feel like, well, you're learning about Democrats from Trump Jr. And if you learn about Democrats from Trump Jr., just like if you learn about uh, Black Lives Matter from white Adventists, you'll learn that they're Marxists. You know, like that's, uh, that's just like this reality. So you got to go to sources here yeah. and learn that, no, the, the Republicans, they all they want is Trump to win again. They don't actually want to help make America anything. They just want Donald Trump to be president again. And Joe Biden at least, at least might put a group around him that has the intention of making America a better place for for, for its citizens and, and people. But there are a season joke, but I'm going to watch. Cause this is funny. <laughs>
2: Alright, are you are y'all ready? Let's do it. Let's do it.
6: Okay. I don't know if you plan to play the whole thing, but at least uh, the last 30 seconds.
2: Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna play towards the end, I believe. Well, first of all, let me know if um if you all can hear this. Nope. All right, so let me do this. Don't worry, I got y'all. This dude, Nick's
6: man. This dude, you're, you're auditioning for a church media man kind of role right now, bro. <laughs> you ready to get these live streams right?
0: Everyone prepare your shots, dollars,
3: <laughs> dollars Back in the pockets of working class Americans. That beacon began to flicker once again. When President Trump commanded the defeat of ISIS, took out al-Baghdadi and Soleimani, and paved the way for peace in the Middle East, that beacon started to glow. When he negotiated historic trade deals with Canada, Mexico, Japan, and China, bringing back thousands of manufacturing jobs to America, that beacon shined bright once again for the world to see. America, It's all on the line. President Trump believes in you. He emancipates and lifts you up to live your American dream. You are capable, you are qualified, you are powerful, and you have the ability to choose your life and determine your destiny. Don't let the Democrats take you for granted. Don't let them step on you. Don't let them destroy your families, your lives, and your future. Don't let them kill future generations because they told you and brainwashed you and fed you lies that you weren't good enough. Like my parents, you can achieve your American dream. You can be that shining example to the world. Manifest and be the change in this country that you dream that you hope, that you believe in, stand for an American president who is fearless, who believes in you, and who loves this country and will fight for her. President Trump is the leader who will rebuild the promise of America and ensure that every citizen can realize their American dream. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, I'm a Verizon engineer, and I'm part of the team. This is Verizon.
6: not sponsored by Verizon. But that's how she literally ended her speech. She literally ended it. That, was it. that Verizon
1: Why commercial be better.
0: That's crazy. She, that's she maintains a degree of velocity <laughs> <philosophy> and volume <laughs> that is completely... It's, it it's terrifying. But here's the thing, man. Look, we all understand here... And I'm speaking with the mask on, my shop blanket, because it's not good, right? But in all seriousness, we have to consider that fear is the greatest motivator, okay? You make people afraid of someone that doesn't look like them, that believes in different things that you believe in, okay? Of course, you're gonna vote for the person that is claiming that they are the solution to all of your problems. Life is not this monolithic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember listening to a podcast, and it talked about years ago. I believe it was Nixon. When the suburbs were really coming into prominence, he used the same vernacular. We have to protect the suburbs, protect your home, protect your family from people that are trying to come in and destroy you, that trying to hurt you. And Trump is literally using the same kind of speech. There's nothing that's gonna make someone want to vote and to protect what they've worked so hard for from this force that is trying to destroy everything that they have ever worked and held dear. And I'm I'm, I'm just saddened that fear is being used so successfully in our country and people are just afraid. And we're not afraid we're I feel like we're afraid of the wrong thing. We should be afraid of a racist system. Not afraid of the idea that MS thirteen is gonna move in next what to you. Are you talking about? Okay, like a CBS sitcom. What what? <laughs> even if yeah, this
4: is this is this is gonna motivate people to vote. But even if it doesn't, or if does and it's not enough, and Donald Trump loses we still need to be so worried because if donald trump loses this group of people is going to be very afraid
3: yeah they're going to yeah. be
4: they're going to be very angry and they're going to be very afraid because they've been listening to all of this stuff telling them that if that happens their lives are over as they know it and like you said jordan like fear is a very powerful motivator and if they don't have the voting outlet to use to exercise whatever emotion whatever they need to do with their emotions they'll find other outlets and i just think we need to be um we need to be concerned yeah. about that
6: i definitely think we should be concerned i think another element having watched these conventions you know the democratic national convention they really took an intentional step to engage people of color and to really kind of like build out this idea that this is a really broad and multi-ethnic kind of coalition um, of a party. And the Republican Party this week is kind of doing a similar thing. But it's interesting. They, they actually brought on the attorney general for the state of Kentucky, a mm-hmm. person who has failed to prosecute the the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. And it's an interesting, like the, the, you know, the calculus, the chess moves that they're making here in this culture war that they're waging. It's very interesting that they brought him on to mention the name of Breonna Taylor, uh, but to immediately say that like, we, we won't go towards mob justice or, or we won't undermine, you know, our police force. And it's so interesting. They all, all of the black speakers have done this thing from Herschel Walker, um, to Tim Scott, uh, and now to this gentleman from Kentucky, they've all done this thing where they point to their minds like, I'm a free thinker. You know, like, I don't, I'm not on the democratic plantation. It's kind of the things that they're saying. And it's fascinating that, that they're all coached or or encouraged or maybe just naturally lean towards saying something of that nature. But I find it fascinating and, and profoundly anti-Black that people don't talk about the way that poor white people are being pimped by the Republican party. The Republican party is literally being led by Manhattan elites. And it's not doing, like they are raising the taxes on poor people. They're giving incredible tax breaks to corporations and to the wealthy. And those people in Appalachia, all they get is a dying coal industry that they're saying, oh, we're gonna bring back coal. But, But coal is dying, coal is not sustainable. And so these poor white people are being duped by this party. And I feel like no one really talks about mm. that element of it. And it, I really think it's anti-Black that people continually to ta- continually act as though Black people aren't intelligent enough to know what we're getting out of the Democratic Party. Like we, we are making an informed political decision when we vote for Democrats. It's not that we are confused and think that Democrats are just like, oh, they're so good. No, no we, we know what we're getting into. But I'm not convinced that poor white people know what they're getting into when they vote for the Republican Party, who has no interest in helping them in their everyday life.
1: They don't know. They I talk to them, I know them, grew up with them. They don't know. They have no clue. And you can ask them. My mom does that this trick at work all the time, and I'm not saying the people she works with are poor, but just like middle class white people. She'll ask them, "Tell me, what does Donald Trump do for you?" And they can't name anything. They literally can't name a policy. Like, it, I guess most white people would probably just tell you, "Like, I, I kind of like that he's a terrible person. I too am a terrible person, so I like that he's also a terrible person." But they don't think they're terrible. They just think they're like, "All lives matter" is their way. But I ask white people that all the time; they don't know. They don't know. They're just, they're just voting what they thought they were supposed to vote, and they voted with the guy that. Believes most similarly to them, which is terrible. Do
4: you think it's possible that the only way that black people vote for Democrats knowing like I'm not going to get much out of this, but I am so terrified of the alternative that I know like this is what's better for me? Do you think it's possible? that poor white voters are so afraid of the things being pushed from the left. In ter- not, not. I mean, tax and stuff, that doesn't make sense. But if they weigh, like, the things around race and the things around religion and the things around sexuality, abortion, If is it possible that they weigh those things so heavily that they're like, look, I my life probably isn't going to change tomorrow when I vote for this Republican, but at least with X, Y, Z, like at least this and this won't happen, or we won't turn into a socialist nation where, you know, like, is it possible that they are making that same weighted decision?
6: No, Esther, I think you're spot on. I think that they are. I think, you know, from watching the RNC this week, I think that the RNC stands most for a racial caste system that places white men, particularly at the top. And I think that they have been conditioned to believe that that is what is moral, what is right. And all of the ramifications of straight white men being prioritized, they think that that's what's right. So they vote in alignment with that. And I think we should have an episode on cast on American caste system uh, one of these days. But I do think that that you're right, Esther, that they're making they're doing that a similar calculus, perhaps on the wrong side, in our opinion. But they're weighing it out and determining that it's it's worthwhile to like to have a party that maintains that white is right, and,
0: and therefore let's vote for that. Yeah. All right, guys, we are so glad that you're able to join us. Um, we hope you stayed protected as we entered into the MOGverse, But we're also excited that you were able to join us and talk about ways that Black people are trying their best to move through a country that doesn't want us, but we need to keep fighting for equality, for equity. And by all accounts, it seems as if things are happening, more people are making their voices heard. And I think that is super important. Thank you so much for joining our show. If you wanna follow us on Instagram, our handle is right in the banner here, And please follow our podcast. That's going to be on Spotify and and Apple Podcasts. If you would like someone to also be in this conversation that wasn't able to join us live, please share. If you can share it with one person this week, we would love for you to do that and then tell us who you shared it with next week. That would be amazing. It would help us grow the conversation that we're having here on the show. Thank you so much. I'm Jordan Smart, your host of Affirmative Interaction so glad you could join us. We'll see you next week.
2: Adrian, aren't you going to say something real quick on voting by mail?
5: Oh, just kidding. So, um, if Nix, if you can drop the link real quick uh, in the comment section, I think I had just texted to you. So, we just want to make a real emphasis that. Um, we've been discussing what's been happening with the Trump administration, postmaster general, the post office and the defunding and the removing of, of mailboxes, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. And so what post offices are asking of you guys is if you all can be proactive with the way you cast in your er early voting. So Nick, if you can scroll down on that link where it says select election official we- office website I believe or you just passed it but anyways there, there's a link up there that once you click it it takes you where you have an option to choose uh, the state that you live in and what you'll learn is that different states ha- uh, have different criteria for what's needed they have different deadlines for when you have to send in your your absentee balance uh, some people need like two um, like posted stamps, like little nitty things that like you may not know, or you may not fully remember when you're trying to do this. Um, and so if you're looking to be proactive to kind of help the post office, which is right now going through a lot of stress, um, this can be something that you can do to um, get your ballots in quicker so that the post office can have enough time to count everything uh, so that there isn't too much delay uh, come November 3rd, and November 4th. So th- this website is just very, it's very useful. It's very helpful to kind of help you know what state you live in and the criteria that you need to meet them all so that you can you can have at it.
0: So yeah, that was pretty much it. Thank you so much, Adrian. and Thank you everyone for uh, joining us. We'll see you next week. Be safe now.